A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Soccer Talk podcast. MLS gets a record TV rating for a game on Thanksgiving Day. Meanwhile, can the League's Cup save MLS's next TV deal? We have the latest news about the A-League rights in the US, and we share our recommended matches to watch this weekend. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnair. My name is Christopher Harris. Kartik, before we get into talking about uh, the topics I just mentioned uh, in the intro here I want to me- talk to you just for a minute or two and we could probably spend a whole podcast on this but uh, this week I'm sure as you did I'm sure but I watched eight hours of Get Back the Beatles documentary yes. on yep. Disney Disney Plus uh, eight hours but it, it was like a fly in the wall documentary really really enthralling I, I just really enjoyed watching it what was your take on this one yeah, same, same here. I mean, I've been waiting. I, ha- I have a bootleg copy. I shouldn't admit this, but I'm admitting it now, now that the uh, the, the actual Get Back uh, documentary is out. I have a bootleg copy of the 1970 film that Michael Lindsay Hogue produced and uh, was really panned by critics. And, and you, you can see why now, because so much of the actual um, – the actual interaction between the band seemed to be cut out of that, uh, that, that film. Now they made it a feature film, uh, which was negotiated by Alan Klein, the Beatles manager at the time, or the manager of the three of the Beatles, right? That's part of the, the breakup is McCartney never signed on with Alan Klein. But um, now you see that there was so much more rich material that gives you a real understanding of the relationship between uh, the four Beatles, but also kind of the fraying of the relationship between Paul and, and George and Paul and John and John and George as well as the interactions with George Martin and with uh, the people who worked at Apple. So it was amazing. Yeah, I I will watch the whole thing again at some point. And in fact, I followed up watching the eight hours of it, Chris, by watching Martin Scorsese's, re-watching Martin Scorsese's documentary on George Harrison, which came out 10 Mm -hmm. years ago, uh, just to kind of of dovetail with this, uh, because so much of it is about that period. Uh, so much of the Harrison documentaries about really the period from 69, 68, 69 to 72, 73, uh, which was the, Harris, the height of Harrison's career. Yeah, I mentioned it, too, because, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, you're, I know, a massive uh, Beatles historian. Um, I enjoy the music. Definitely not, not, not nothing to the level of, of yours, Kartik, and, and many other Beatles fans. 
but it it did show a beautiful relationship. And and in watching that documentary, you saw that relationship between you mean uh, Paul and and John and and how close they were. And in some ways, I mean, for a long time, they were kind of bitter rivals in, in terms of you mean just trying to compete for. Um, to get their songs and, and, and you see Paul's such a perfectionist. The, the other thing about this one is too, just the amount of preparation, rehearsal, time it took uh, to get to the to the Get Back uh, rooftop concert. Uh, it just gave me a better appreciation for how much uh, behind the scenes stuff that we normally wouldn't see, but how much work goes into preparing for a major event. And, and uh, when the, the event happened on the rooftop concert, um, I mean, we were the, the yeah the recipients, the benefits, uh, benefactors of of that all that hard work that went into kind of a really a flawless, fun performance. Now, Kartik, speaking of special relationships, you got the uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. As a segue, you've got uh, Major League Soccer and Liga MX. Uh, now, this is an article that you wrote this week for WorldSoccerTalk.com talking about the League's Cup. And um, maybe you can take a couple of minutes here and, and just talk about that because uh, probably not everyone uh, that listens to the po- this podcast has read the article yet. But if you can give them kind of a sneak preview about what the, the topic is and s- some of your thoughts on that one. So basically, MLS, they've expanded uh, from 20 teams to, I guess it'll be 29, uh, potentially 30 when this, uh, this new TV deal is renegotiated, is negotiated. Uh, 20 teams was the number when they negotiated the deal in 2015. The current deal, that included the, the two newest teams at the time, were Orlando and New York City. Uh, at, right after they negotiated the new deal, they announced uh, that they were moving Minnesota up from NASL and they were giving uh, Atlanta a team. So I don't know if um, in the midst of those negotiations, they had let the television, uh, the broadcasters know that they were going to add two, two more very big markets. But let's just assume they weren't. So they're going from from they've added a number of big markets. I think markets that are, are real useful. Austin uh, is a useful, useful market in terms of, of uh, growing television profile. Same thing with Nashville, uh, among other markets that they've added in the last uh, seven years. But they lose the U.S. Soccer Federation piece of the contract, which um, Soccer United Marketing, the marketing arm of Major League Soccer, has had the USSF television rights as an outside agency, as a ostensibly as an outside agency, we can get into uh, another time into the whole uh, conflict of interest there. But uh, ostensibly as an outside agency, since the negotiations uh, for the right cycle that began in 2006, so they've had it for the last three contract negotiations of MLS, and they've been able to attach U.S. soccer, U.S. men's and women's national team rights to their rights. They lose that now. The U- U.S. Soccer Federation is bringing their rights back in house. Uh, the new um, CEO over there, uh, Will Wilson, believes, and, and he formerly worked with MLS, but Will Wilson believes that the TV rights for U.S. soccer are worth more than what they're getting as part of a bundle with MLS. So that leaves MLS, even with nine new teams, many of which, like I said, Austin, Nashville, and others are in very attractive markets, down a major piece of their property. So enter the League's Cup, which is a, um, I from a, Football standpoint, soccer standpoint, a tournament I'm very excited about. I think it's going to be a great tournament with every Liga Mekis side, uh, all 18 of them, all 27, I guess it would be 29 eventually MLS teams, uh, 
in it. They're going to take a month off of the season in the summer and play this competition uh, and, and have uh, the winner uh, qualify directly for the group stage of the CONCACAF Champions League. Second and third place winners, uh, finishers, end up uh, in the uh, qualifying rounds of the CONCACAF Champions League. So you've got uh, a lot of incentive. There's a lot on the line, and it's going to be a really cool uh, cross-border cup competition. It's going to be great from a, from a football soccer standpoint. But what was the actual motivation for the uh, – what was the impetus to create this tournament? And when you peel back a couple layers, Chris, I've come to the conclusion, because there's nothing MLS does that's done for altruistic uh, reasons, right? They don't do things because they want to improve player development. They don't do things because they want to improve the quality of, of, of football or soccer on display. Now, those things are knock-on effects, so, uh, side benefits of, of some of the decisions they make for business reasons. And I think this uh, this this decision was very much made for business reasons. I think it's going to be a great competition. Again, let me say that. I'm really excited about this. I don't get that excited about continental competitions. People who know me know, uh, oftentimes Euro- European Champions League match days, I'm watching lower division games from England instead. I, I don't right. love continental competitions, but I'm kind of excited about this because it's not an elite competition. It's going to include everybody and it's going to be formatted properly. But, uh, Chris, the point is, I think it was done in order to raise the potential dollar value of the MLS TV package because you're going to get um, summer matches that are more meaningful than MLS regular season matches, which are, are not meaningful. We're seeing that again in this playoffs. So I'm really kind of disappointed by what's happened with Seattle being knocked out and then uh, uh, New England being knocked out. I know it's great for the fans of, the, uh, of Salt Lake and New York City. I'm not denying that, but I think it's, it's bad for, for the league in my opinion. So you're going to create meaningful games with a greater context that, that qualify you for a continental championship and, and uh, potentially an expanded club world cup, FIFA club world cup. Uh, that's why they're doing it to create meaningful games for television purposes. And yes, this will increase the value of the television package that's being negotiated now. But again, Chris, I, I say, I think this tournament has been created for that reason and that reason alone. And, the knock-on benefits are all great, but I think it's been created in order to enhance MLS's TV profile, and it will do that, in my opinion. Yeah, the key here is the date. 2023 is the launch of the Leagues Cup, the, the, the new and improved Leagues Cup. They'll have all of the MLS teams, all of the Liga MX teams competing, shutting down, well, MLS shutting down for a month. Uh, Liga MX usually have their summer break anyway, but but both both leagues shutting down and saying, "Hey, hey, we're going to have all of our teams competing in this tournament." So that's that's a, a, a an easy indicator in terms of 2023 is when they're starting it. 2023 is the is the year of the the first year of the new TV deal. Uh, the current deal ends in 2022 at the end of that season, about 12 months from now. And uh, we know the reporting that we've done. Uh, I mean, MLS has been in negotiations and discussions with a lot of broadcasters in the U.S. talking about the next TV deal uh, and their hopes that this is going to be the biggest one ever and it's going to be massive numbers. But but the thing, though, Kartik, so, so you're you're a purist. I mean, you're more of a kind of a, a neutral fan. So so this competition for you definitely has a lot of positives and a lot of things that make it exciting having you mean having all the MLS teams playing against all of the League MX teams or however they structure it in terms of the groups, etc. But I would argue 
that for most soccer fans, um, and and no offense, Kartik, but you, you're not the the average soccer fan. You're you're more of the hardcore, but also will would see the beauty whether it's low low division football all the way up to the t- to the highest level. But I would argue that most soccer fans in the U.S. are not going to be that interested in this tournament. Reason being is that Liga MX clubs year after year in the CONCACAF Champions League dominate that tournament. And you can look at the TV ratings for the games where whether it's Liga MX dominating those games on English language television, the TV ratings aren't that great. And we know year after year, I mean, it's always big hopes for MLS teams. And year after year, MLS teams don't do so well against Liga MX clubs. So I would say that the the expectations and the excitement level are more on the Liga MX side. If you're a fan of, you I mean, Club America, Chivas, uh, Tigres, or any of those teams, you're, you're you're looking forward to this competition. Here's an, another opportunity uh, to play games and to dominate the competition. And the the, the clear indicator of this is the, the, the TV rating for the MLS All Star Game this past summer, uh, which was against the uh, Liga MX All Stars. And the English language uh, viewing number for this game was the lowest ever for an all-star game on English language television. That was 175,000 people tuned in to watch this game on FS1. Uh, On Univision and Tudo NA, on the Spanish language side, 1.4 million people tuned in to watch this game. So I think there's definitely more of an interest in the League's Cup idea from the Liga MX fans... In, in the United States than there is from MLS fans. Um, the neutrals, like you and I, I'll, I'll watch a tournament for sure. But again, we're the hardcore fans. We're not going to be the ones that are going to you mean, kind of make a big difference in the TV numbers. To me, this is all about definitely MLS trying to inflate the value of their next TV rights deal. But more so, I think it's really MLS saying, okay, hey, looking at the landscape of the United States... Liga MX, the club teams, uh, the big games, especially, you mean the the playoff finals, the Apertura, Clausura, those get the most number of TV uh, viewership in this country for any soccer, club soccer games. And this is their attempt to try to win over that audience. This is their attempt to try to win over bilinguals, Mexican-Americans, to that Spanish language audience is what they're going after. My question to you, Kartik, is: Do you think that do you think it can happen? Do you think that MLS can win over, you mean, a significant percentage of Liga MX or, or fans of soccer that come from uh, a Mexican American origin? I don't think they will, but I do think that because they they own this the rights to this television property and they're bundling it with their own package they're going to get an inflated value, as you say, because they are going to have those fans, whether they win them over for mainline MLS, for the MLS regular season and playoffs, maybe it doesn't matter. They are going to have them. They can include them in all their demographic data, all their uh, all the presentations they give to sponsors and to investors, people to sponsor Soccer United Marketing. That's how they get sponsorships in the door, by the way, uh, is bundling it with this tournament. So it actually is going to probably have a knock-on effect with sponsorship also which is a way for them to claim that Liga and Mackey's audience add that 1.5 or 2 million uh, viewers, that audience, to their numbers when they go to sponsors and when they go to, to, to potential media partners. That's what it's about. Are they going to actually get them to watch MLS? No, they're not. I think that's 
I, that's pretty clear. Unless maybe Seattle comes into this tournament and wins it the first three years. Then maybe uh, a lot of uh, uh, bilinguals will say, oh, yeah, maybe we should check out Major League Soccer because uh, Seattle is so great and they're, uh, they're this, this, this top global club. But uh, short of that happening, I don't think it will. But mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter because now they're just going to – those people are going to be counted as part of their numbers. We know how clever they are with marketing and PR, MLS. So now they're going to count that as part of their base. Yeah, that, that's spot on to Kartik because uh, actually today we're recording this on Friday. There was an interview published in Sport Business uh, with Seth Bacon, who's one of the the top MLS executives uh, on the uh, television side. And we, we've interviewed uh, Seth before in our stories and podcasts. And he was quoted as saying today, the League's Cup is going to be a massive event when you have two brands like MLS and Liga MX coming together to deliver something as unique as we are. We know there is going to be great value in that for our fans, our commercial partners, and our media partners. So media partners, certainly, they're, they're going to use the Liga MX uh, TV ratings numbers and looking at, looking back at the MLS All-Star Game, focusing in on that Spanish-language audience. But the commercial partners, you mean the the major sponsors, and they will go to them and say, hey, look at this. Here's a huge opportunity for you to partner with Major League Soccer uh, for those brands. And it could be a brand that's going to appeal to both the Spanish-language audience and the English-language audience. It could be a soft drink. It could be any any type of kind of uh, product. And they're going to show those numbers and show the potential of what this could be. It might be one of those things, Kartik. I mean, I mean, there's definitely a sense now we're getting towards the end of the current MLS deal. And we've spoken to the different TV broadcasters. We've spoken to some and, and, and have asked them, I mean, how do the, the TV ratings that you're getting for MLS, I mean, are you pleased? Are you, are you more than pleased? Are you, are you less than pleased? And... The, the ones that have, uh, have kind of uh, spoken to me have said uh, they're kind of disappointing. They didn't hit the numbers that we were hoping for. They didn't hit the numbers that, that we were sold on in 2015 when when the deal was signed. The same thing is probably going to happen or may happen in, in this regard too, Kartik, where MLS is having discussions with these major TV broadcasters um, and and streaming providers, and they're selling you mean selling the moon to them talking about how big this is going to be and ultimately once those numbers come in um i don't think they're going to hit the numbers that they're 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 actually probably trying to to sell chris you just you just hit the key okay so there are a lot of people who come back at at what uh you you tweet and you write and what i tweet and what i write saying well mls numbers are up uh there's more people are paying more for for uh Clubs. I don't want to call them franchises because they're not. Actually, a reminder this week with USL's championship game, USL is actually a franchise-based league, which may give the league more flexibility to uh, to do what they want to do with calendar, what they're talking about doing with calendar and ProRail. Uh, we keep getting this pushback. The point I keep making is, based on my own reporting, my own sourcing, I know the sort of promises Major League Soccer made to their media partners in negotiations in 2014 and 2015. And the sorts of things, uh, the sorts of grandiose uh, uh, claims that they, uh, where they said the league would be positioned in 2022 when this deal is up. Okay, so we're in 2021 and we're nowhere near on a consistent basis. Yes, there are outliers like the MLS All-Star Game in Spanish this year, like the Thanksgiving game, which I know we'll get to at some point in this uh, uh, this, this uh, podcast. Uh, 
the, the Thanksgiving uh, game the other day. Uh, there are some outliers like that. But the numbers are not where Major League Soccer promised they would be to the media partners they currently have and to those they all, that were also in negotiations in 2014 and 2015 for the 2015 to 2022 deal. And the bottom line remains that that has happened even though they've added nine new teams or seven new teams that are actually playing. So that is um, – and that includes a second team in Los Angeles – which uh, they did not have. And, well, and actually, the team in New York kicked off right after the deal was uh, was signed. So uh, additional teams in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, so that's the bottom line. You're being judged upon uh, 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 versus the expectations you set, not the PR you put out in, in a baseline in a public sense. It's what you negotiate in private. And I know you, you've talked to some of the same people I have or heard some of the same things, Chris. The, the numbers are not where MLS said they would be the um, – the presence of the league in a mainstream sense in the U.S. is not where MLS promised it would be in 2022. Now, that is not all MLS's fault, I would, I would point out. Now, to those who are vicious critics of MLS, I do have to remind you that there is a strong bias against soccer in, in elements of the sports media in this country. And maybe MLS will never be fully mainstream because of that or until those people are, are gone, uh, for lack of a better term. But um, some of it was within MLS's control, and they haven't delivered. So, so I'm, I think I'm confident that MLS will get will get a good deal here. I, I think they've got a lot of promise in terms of the amount of games, the cities they're in, um, and also the, the timing of this deal in terms of NBC getting the Premier League rights. That rules NBC out of the picture. And then you've got the ESPNs, the Foxes, and then you've got all the streaming partners. And then you've got the Spanish language audience. So I'm confident that they will get a good deal. What I'm you mean, kind of hesitant on is, is in terms of them really pushing the League's Cup. And, and you can expect to hear League's Cup, League's Cup over and over again during the next few weeks as MLS is in negotiations and discussions with the TV broadcasters, as MLS Commissioner Don Garber is getting ready to do his uh, State of the League address, which is going to be, I think, next week. And MLS executives being interviewed. Um, we interviewed one of the uh, the president of Charlotte FC recently, and he too was talking up League's Cup uh, constantly. H- having said that, though, Kartik, because I think they're overselling that part of it, I- I'm not that confident that League's Cup is going to be the runaway hit. But I guess it doesn't matter in many ways, too, because if they can sell that idea, that concept, that and the value of what that could be uh, before it actually happens with a, a monster TV deal or streaming deal, it doesn't really matter. You mean, you mean MLS is so focused on trying to get as much money from this TV deal as possible because they need it. They really, really do, do need it uh, to grow as a league, to uh, increase the salary caps, to bring new players in, and also the timing with the, the World Cup coming up uh, in 2020, um, six, uh, 2026, which is going to be the biggest one uh, ever in this country. Having said that, though, Kartik, you mean if MLS, you mean if MLS kind of downplayed League's Cup, or, or maybe they decided not to do a League's Cup and they said, okay, we're, we're just going to stick to our principles. We're going to go to market with uh, purely MLS. This is what you're getting. What could they have done differently to to really increase the value of what this League uh, TV deal uh, could be, in your opinion? I think it would go up slightly, maybe because of. Uh 
promises that were made. MLS's profile has increased. Again, um, what I just said is based on the expectations MLS and Soccer United marketing privately set. But but what changes what, what changes could would you if you were in charge of MLS and you you were involved in MLS and in, in these um, email, how could you change MLS to actually increase the value on on the I'd team? flip the calendar. That's that it's, it's it's pretty simple. That's my that's that's my view. I know everybody. You know this this is a conversation you can't even have the pro rel conversation. You can at least have and there's I'm I in favor of open leaks, but there were plenty of good arguments on the other side, I will admit. Now, when you talk about calendar change, people get hysterical and say, oh, people will freeze to death. No one wants to go to a game in, in minus 50 degree weather and all of this kind of hyperbole when, in fact, I can give you I, – I could I sit you down with technical people from around the world who talk about the, the fact that the, that the U.S.'s leagues playing through that the heat of summer – uh, ha- has an effect on everything from player development to its television profile, right? There are plenty of people smarter than me who know this sport in and out, who come to this country, who, who observe the game in this country, who agree with that. Um, so that's the thing I would do is I would flip the calendar, whether that sets you up. And by the way, you can't do pro-rel, in my opinion, on the current calendar anyway, because your transfer windows are not aligned. So if you want pro-rel also, then maybe you should support calendar change as well. That's what I would do. You would, you would play your playoffs your most important games in May, in April and May, at the same time as leagues are winding down in Europe. So you get the soccer fans who are already kind of in the mode for soccer. And you're not competing with the NFL and college football. I mean, we've seen the fact that uh, MLS has had some terrible ratings for playoff games through the years. Now they're trying to get clever with when they schedule them, scheduling them on Tuesday nights, scheduling them uh, on nights when there are no college football games on national television or no NFL games on national television or using the NFL games as a lead-in, it'll be much stronger. Unless you believe that the strongest television ratings should be early in the season. If you're of the belief that, that you want to get higher ratings in, in uh, the, the first two months of the season, more people watching and more attention on your league early in the season than late in the season, by all means, keep the current calendar. Yeah, I mean, and that definitely would increase the value. I mean, overnight of of the MLS TV deal because you look at it the way it is now, and, and yes, the Thanksgiving Day uh, TV rating, which we'll get to in a little bit, is certainly an outlier. That's that's the first time that they've ever had a game on Thanksgiving Day. But you look at the MLS playoffs this weekend. You look at the MLS Cup final. Um, the timing of these games is the worst possible scenario. You've got, uh, you mean you've got ABC showing a MLS game on Sunday, this Sunday. You mean, of course, there's NFL games going on. You've got um, a game that's happening on on Saturday. You've got the you got the M- the other uh, MLS uh, uh, game happening too, the playoff game happening, and that's coming up against you mean college football. So, timing wise, I mean, this could be this is probably the worst possible schedule you could have in place. Yes, there's lots of factors with weather, but as you've seen just from this past week or two, you've seen games being played in Russia through the snow. You've seen games even in England with you mean massive uh, snow flurries and winter conditions too. Uh, we've seen games being played, you know, you know I mean, against Costa Rica and and other teams that kind of in in these these snow games, so uh, it's not entirely uh, impossible, but but yeah, no, Kartik, that's a good point in terms of um, that's one way to increase the the value of the MLS TV rights deal overnight by being smarter about that. 
And speaking of being smarter, I mean, that was one of the, the reasons why the MLS decided to have that game on um, Thanksgiving Day to try to go ahead and uh, really have a game that, that's, that would be on a perfect timing in terms of at least being on a holiday, um, having the lead in of a NFL game happening right before it. And then hoping that people would would stick and watch it because there's nothing else going on. Uh, you mean if you're you mean if you're a soccer fan that yes there was Europa League on that day, but for the most part there's no major other games happening. So the number that that uh, was for this game was uh, 1.89 million people watched this game. At first, actually, the, the, some of the reports that came out, I think from the Athletic, was that the the viewing number for this game was 7.2 million. I think at that point, I think there was almost like a meltdown, like people just going crazy, going like, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing! This is wonderful!" 1.89 is still a very, very good number for um, for the Colorado Rapids-Portland Timbers uh, playoff game on the Fox Network. It's the most uh, viewed MLS game ever on, on Fox, uh, and it's also the most viewed uh, playoff game in MLS ever. Uh, it's not the most viewed MLS game ever by, by any means, uh, I think that, but it's, it's the largest number they've gotten for an MLS game a regular, regular, well, actually, a playoff game uh, since I think it was 2004, I think, which was like a DC United, the Freddie Adu game. Um, but yeah, so what was your your take, Arctic, on the uh, the TV ratings for this game? Oh, I thought I thought it was great, and shows again why you don't want the MLS season ending on November 18th or November 11th. So again, this is this is feeding into my point because then if you had annual matches on Thanksgiving that were fed by college football or the NFL, then you probably get a, a better rating than you're getting for regular season games, uh, corresponding regular season games in July or August. Then you take a winter break, like they do in Germany, like they do in Ukraine, like they do in Russia, right? It's not like they do in, in Scandinavia. And then you come back and you have the business end of the season. So you use the Thanksgiving holiday as an opportunity to showcase a regular season game. Maybe you play Seattle versus Portland every year on Thanksgiving, one of their regular season meetings, whether it's in, uh, in Seattle or in Portland. Imagine the number that would do on Fox with a lead-in from an NFL game. Yeah, especially, especially when you have the NFL game, the Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions. You mean, it's, it's an annual tradition. Uh, and that's part of it, too, is, is you could have a Seattle-Portland. I mean, if you had a, a, a kind of a different calendar, I mean, who knows? That could be the opening game of the season or, or the, whatever it may be, but that could be the, the annual event. And, and actually, Seth Bacon, following up on what Sport Business uh, reported today, he was quoted as saying today that uh, we would absolutely embrace the opportunity to schedule a match consistently on Thanksgiving Day. A new Thanksgiving Day tradition has a nice ring to it. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. I mean, that's definitely in terms of eyeballs, in terms of people. I mean, a lot of us on Thanksgiving Day are bored or waiting for the, the turkey to be done or we, we just ate the turkey. We're sitting down looking for something to watch. And, and that's perfect. So, Kartik, let's move on because we talked a lot about MLS, uh, which is a good thing. And um, hopefully we'll hear some things in the next few weeks in regards to the, the TV deal. But one of the, the things that's flown under the radar uh, for soccer fans has been the Australian A-League. And this is a league that uh, up until last season, ESPN Plus had the rights to. Every weekend, usually you'd have like four or five games uh, often in the middle of the night. So you'd have uh, games starting at, I mean, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, etc. 
what I found from personal experience is actually there's quite a lot of people watching those games, and oftentimes it was people that were either working nights and had games on in the background, as well as uh, people that uh, soccer fans who built up a, you mean kind of a love for watching the A League. Now this season. The A-League is not available in the United States. Um, I've reached out to ESPN. I've reached out to um, also the A-League. A-League uh, is non-responsive, and uh, ESPN uh, confirmed that uh, the rights that they had uh, up until last season has ended, and we're now in limbo land. Now we're, we're kind of waiting for a broadcaster uh, to pick up those rights. Uh, in Australia, Paramount Plus uh, got a lot of those rights, and they're showing the games uh, in Australia. But Paramount Plus in the United States does not have the rights to the A League, so we're caught, caught in between a situation where uh, the Australian A League is obviously tr- still trying to sell those rights to a broadcaster, and no one's really stepping up to the plate to go ahead and acquire those rights for whatever amount of money that the A League is expecting. It's one of those things. It's 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 challenging because if you're a fan of the A League and you want to watch this league, which kicked off now, it's almost uh, two weeks ago, or actually over a week ago. Uh, there is no legal way for you in the United States to watch these games. And I mean, maybe as the season drags on, maybe we won't have any type of broadcaster showing these games. Now, if you live in other parts of the world, you can probably access A League through YouTube or other uh, methods. So it's one of those things that uh, if you are in the United States to watch your favorite A League team, the only way to watch it is to watch it illegally. So hopefully someone will step up, and hopefully um, the A League will be able to figure out a deal here for some broadcaster to show the Australian A League. All right, can't take this move on to the list of mailbag. First up is Steve. He says, "I would like for you guys to discuss uh, what NBC is doing with match coverage. People are cancelling big cable packages, which include USA Network." Um, and I'm going to be upset if matches are exclusive to USA only. I don't mind watching the matches in Spanish if I have to. I also don't understand the, the reluctance to put all matches on Peacock. That would definitely increase the subscription uh, that they would want to gain. That's what all of the other networks do. I also wish we could get uh, Sky Sports pre-matches and post-matches shows. So, so Kartik, I think Steve is on, uh, in the same boat as a lot of us. But unfortunately, this is never going to happen, right? I'm shocked. I thought the Premier League was going to make it a requirement for this television deal in the U.S. that every match be streamed somewhere. Uh, by streamed somewhere in, in the sense that on an exclusive stream partner. I know you can see the games on NBCSports.com, the USA games, if, uh, if, if you're a cable subscriber. I was under the mistaken impression, that's maybe the one piece of that, uh, faulty reporting I did on this uh, on this negotiation. I thought that they were going to require that. I had been led to believe that. So, yeah, not only is it not going to happen, I'm shocked. I'm actually shocked the Premier League didn't require that of NBC. I'd- maybe they'll revisit that in the midst of the uh, the backlash about that, that piece, because I'm not happy about it. I don't think anyone is. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Premier League kind of mentioned to the the bidders like hey we'd like to have all these games be available through streaming and i wouldn't be surprised if um nbc sports uh, said 
we're, we're willing to pay that $2.6 billion, but no way in hell are we going to uh, put all these games, make them available on Peacock. And, and because they want their cake and they want to eat it too. So, you mean Comcast, uh, NBC Sports, which is owned by NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast. Once you, the listener, uh, the, the soccer fan, if you're into the Premier League, uh, to have a cable subscription, uh, hopefully to Xfinity, and also have a subscription to Peacock, and that way they can get revenue from from both from both pockets, right? Get more revenue from each individual. The last thing that they would want to do is have uh, the games available through Peacock only. So then you would cancel your cable subscription, uh, or to have everything on cable which actually actually maybe they would want that in, in a way but everything on cable and then you lose all those peacock subscribers uh, and as people would say screw it that's it i'm a cord cutter i'm not getting xfinity i'm now going to be a fan of the bundesliga or la liga and i'm going to just subscribe to espn plus and have every single game available to me so so what we end up getting is kind of the, the mushy middle which is um like like for steve yeah there will be some games that are exclusive to usa only and those games will not be on Peacock. There will be a lot of games, too, that will be exclusive to Peacock. Um, so you have to have both if you want to have access to all those games. Following up on um, last week's uh, discussion about uh, podcast suggestions uh, from both you and I, Kartik, uh, Milan Jar says, Great pod. A suggestion for other podcasts, uh, The Trans-European Express with Danny Kelly and uh, Andy Brassell. Um um, on the TalkSport app. You can also listen live on Sundays at around 4 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, and that's one that um, I've listened to, I think, you know, when I've been driving on a Sunday, listening to TalkSport. And uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of a uh, low-key, kind of mellow show. Uh, and Andy's usually kind of bouncing around or whichever guest they have on, going from league to league to league. I think last week, actually, I think I had Kevin Hatchard on there talking about the Bundesliga, talking about uh, Ligue 1, talking about all the different leagues from around the European continent and uh, and not focusing on uh, the Premier League for once, which which was definitely a good show to, to check out. Greg says, uh, to add to the po- podcast recommendations, uh, plus one in spades to Football Weekly, all episodes. Uh, the price of football is fantastic for the nerdy fi- finance aspects of football. Good chemistry. Uh, Sid Lowe, frequent football weekly guest, has the Spanish football podcast. The Gab and Jules show uh, can be good. I know that's a, a favorite of yours, Kartik. And then the Brazilian shirt name pod goes, uh, does a deep dive into a single match from the past and puts in social and cultural context can be very good. And uh, I'll have to check out that Brazilian shirt name pod because that, that, that sounds like it's up, up my street. And then Steve K adds uh, Danny Kelly's two talk sport radio shows, uh, Sunday evenings, Trans European Express, and then Mondays, The Press Box. are usually must listens for me, easily replayed the next morning like a podcast. Uh, the Tuesday Club with Alan Davis is my guilty pleasure soccer podcast, and I try to listen to Second Captains with Ken Early uh, when their free episode of the week deals with soccer. Uh, in regards to the Women's World Cup qualifying, um, we have Tim Keen here that says, uh, why do we go through this nonsense every four years with most games meaningless to embarrassing? The men's are bad enough, but the women's? 
Look at last Tuesday's results, an absolute disgrace. What is the point of watching um, England score 20 goals against Latvia or 11 goals, 8 goals, 7 goals? You know, what's the point of that? And, and that's the challenge we have, Kartik, right? We've got I mean, qualifications for whatever tournament it may be. Some of these are developing countries in terms of their, especially on the women's national football front, uh, whether it's Thailand, whether it's Latvia. Um, these are countries that are slowly developing. They're probably a good couple of decades behind the United States in terms of the development of uh, women's football and you know, whether it's leagues, whether it's clubs, it, it, it is something that, that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Do, do you have any solution for, for these types of, uh, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side on the World Cup qualifying? I mean, the, the goal is that the, the women's side becomes more competitive and it only becomes more competitive over time if you have, uh, you have competitive matches like this. So that's the, the dilemma. Now, on the men's side, there is no way – for football federations in UEFA, smaller ones, Andorra, San Marino, uh, Liechtenstein, etc., to get a fair share of their revenue if you keep them out of uh, mainline qualifying. And that, that's become more of an excuse for people in CONCACAF to claim that somehow CONCACAF qualifying is harder to qualify from CONCACAF than it is from UEFA, which is just laughable, right? I mean, it's just an absurd notion. Uh, but they don't whittle down the qualifying in UEFA to get rid of those countries because those countries uh, deserve a piece of the revenue. They have a different revenue model than CONCACAF, and they don't, uh, those countries aren't necessarily eligible for the sort of football development grants that we know FIFA has so abused uh, that have gone to nations in the Caribbean and, and, and nations in Central America and other parts of the world. So that's, um, that, that's, that's part of the reason. So I don't think there is a solution. You just have to deal with it. Every time it happens, yeah, we cringe. We cringed about USA title. We cringe about Latvia and England. But it's just the way it is. Yeah, part of me thinks, like with the FA Cup, for example, or just as a club uh, cup competition, is that you have the different rounds. So you have the first round, you have the second round, and then by the third round is when the, the Premier League clubs uh, participate and, and then move on. Um, but on a national football stage, it's not fair to do it that way. And, and like you said, too, it almost need to be that we're, we're kind of um, seeing these teams c- compete and. and uh, get a fair share or get 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 an opportunity to to progress and, and and to grow all right last comment we have is from chris and he talks about the cbs uh coverage when it comes to cbs's champions league coverage i am in agreement with you guys that they need to be less about the joking around and offer serious analysis of the day's games because that is the main reason why fans tune in to the post-game show. I have also seen issues with their CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers coverage in that they don't talk a lot about the other teams in the region and when they do, they view them, with the exception of Mexico, as inferior compared to the U.S., other than that, CBS's coverage of Serie A, uh, Asian competitions, Scottish Premiership, and the NWSL has been quite good and is one of the reasons why I have a Paramount Plus subscription. I have a question for you about Goal TV. My question is simply this. What do you guys think will happen to it in the next few years? Thanks for all you do. Yeah, I think uh, Goal TV will just keep on chugging along. I mean, it's uh, it's got to be a really low cost uh to run the network and uh i think they've outsourced a lot of the the positions to to people they've downsized um they're kind of a very no frills um 
you mean uh, station network, and um, they have the rights to the Portuguese league as well as some of the leagues from South America. And they probably finally figured out a way to to make money not not a ton of money, but I'm sure they make money every year, uh, and they're happy with what they do. I I just don't see any any change that unless they lose some of these. Um, if they lost the the Portuguese rights, or if they lost uh, some of these other leagues, maybe then they would uh, finally go under. Kartik, do you agree? Yeah, I don't think they're going to go under in the U.S. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed by their longevity. I've heard various theories financially for the for the parent company why they've kept Gold TV going. They've also managed to hold on to a few rights. You know, in Canada, they had a pretty big footprint at one point and went away because they were. Uh, those rights. They had so many high-profile rights, those things eventually got taken from them. In the U.S., since they lost the Bundesliga, they've been uh, below the radar, and they don't have things that other uh, other media companies are necessarily coming after. So I think they could survive in this market indefinitely. So listeners, um, for this uh, next podcast, uh, don't don't let me down. Uh, you need to get back <laughs> and uh, give us some some feedback. So give us some comments. Let us know um, what you'd like us to, to to talk about. Uh, if you have any questions about television coverage, streaming coverage, or any any of the the things we've we've mentioned today, we'd love to get your comments and read those out on air. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, um, recommendations for this weekend, uh, which game to watch? Uh, what's your best bet? Oh, there, 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 there are a couple. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to the Bournemouth Fulham game, right, which is going to be uh, uh, just in a few hours from now. Uh, in uh, uh, we're taping this Friday morning, so that's a that's a recommendation for me. Uh, also, a couple hours from now, Union Berlin and uh, RB Leipzig. Leipzig struggling. Union has put, punched above their weight uh, in the Bundesliga thus far uh, for three seasons now. Uh, this could be a very important game for for Jesse Marsh, uh, his management. So both of those matches will be on ESPN Plus at the same time. I will also tell you there were some interesting FA Cup matches on ESPN Plus at the same time. So hopefully you listen to this podcast in the next hour because I've got several matches I want to watch on Friday on ESPN Plus. Okay. Originally, my recommendation was Real Sociedad against Real Madrid on Saturday. I think it's at 3 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus. But then when I saw that you didn't have uh, Dortmund against Bayern on Saturday at 12.30 Eastern time on ESPN Plus, I, I changed my mind and put that one in there. And, and for me, every time it's uh, De Classica, I always you mean keep hope alive. I mean this yeah. this could be the one. This this could be the time where that Dortmund rises and, and defensively you mean locks down and, and prevents Bayern from from getting those goals. And well, usually Chris, by, by half time, I usually I, <laughs> I yeah. walk away. So I've been told by numerous people, numerous listeners, to stop doing this every year. Uh, when, when these two teams are about to meet and say, well, if Dortmund keeps a clean sheet or they can stay tight for a half, then they'll win the league. So I've been told I can't say that till March this year by multiple people. So that's why I didn't pick it. And uh, I, uh, I am hopeful, as, as you are, but I am not going to psychologically get sucked into it like it, I do every season. It could be 5-0 to buy in by halftime. You, yeah, you know I mean? that's what it normally is, right? Right, and then then it's like, I mean, then, then it, it just like zaps all of your excitement or all of your hope or it's just, just so demoralizing. Uh, but it could be, I mean, I mean, Dortmund has the ability to score. It's just a matter of the defense. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Barcelona in many ways. Up front, 
they're, they're okay. Uh, but but in the back is is where the holes are, and it's just it's just getting worse. It seems. Yeah, I think Marco Hosa has done a, a pretty good job with their defense this year, considering the limitations. I, I think they're a little tighter than they were the last few seasons, but they still they still leak too many goals for All a club right. that wants to win a title. Yeah, for sure, it, it's fun to watch, but if you're a Dortmund fan, it's going to be really frustrating at times. All right, Kartik, so heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world, uh, what are you going to be doing and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 